Hey, this is Seth Scruggs, co-host of Rewatch. We're very excited to announce that we are going to be premiering a short film called Five Minutes. It was directed by me, and it was produced and written by Zachary Vaughn. We shot it back in December, and we're getting ready to release it on August 28th at 6 p.m. It will be premiering on YouTube as a live premiere. Uh, you can find all the information on Instagram at MarkSpotsTheX Productions. Following the premiere of the film, we are going to be hosting a live Q&A at 6.15 uh, where we're going to talk about the film and you can come out and ask us questions and we'll be excited to answer them. August 28th at 6pm with a Q&A following at 6.15, the premiere of 5 Minutes, a short film by Seth Scruggs and Zachary Vaughn. Hi, my name is Seth Scruggs and you're listening to Rewatch, a movie podcast about movies we love and movies we haven't seen yet. In a second, I'll be joined by my co-host Zach Vaughn, but before then, make sure you go ahead and subscribe to this podcast so you won't miss a single episode. We release a new episode every Monday. We hope that you'll join in on the fun and either watch or re-watch along with us. Alright, now let's get to the show. Hello, Zach. I would welcome you, but we're actually in your apartment, so I won't welcome you. Um, I will welcome you. Okay. Welcome. Well, but this is this is rewatch, and we watched a movie this week. Not together. Um, we are together now, which is not normal. Um, will not be the usual for this, but. I actually, I actually watched the movie this week again with the same person I watched the last one. He is your roommate. He is my roommate. Yeah. Why don't you tell us about the movie that we watched this week? All right. So we watched Baby Driver, which if ba- Baby Driver is to me like Lady Bird is to you, um, if not my favorite, they're basically my favorite. They're vastly different movies. They are vastly different movies. We are vastly different people. Baby Driver is an Edgar Wright movie. It came out in 2017. It's a little under two hours. It stars Ansel Elgort as Baby. That is not his actual name. You find out about five minutes from the end that his name is Miles. Oh, by the way, like we mentioned last episode, spoiler alert, that's what the show is about. Major, major, major spoilers. That is the entire, the entire plot of the movie hinges on his name. It doesn't. But it has Ansel Elgort, it has Lily James as his love interest, and um, it has Kevin Spacey. Um, it also has John Hamm, and <laughs> it has it also has John Hamm and John Bernthal. A great cast. Um, I'm not. Did you say Jamie Fox? It also has Jamie Fox um, and three Mike Myers. Yeah, so Edgar Wright, um, if you aren't familiar with him, is generally a comedic director. Um, He did Shaun of the Dead and Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, among other movies. Um, He also has done a lot with music videos, which will definitely come up later, um, as music is a huge theme and a huge, it's like 50% of... The film is music. Would you consider this movie a comedy? I would say it's there are funny parts, but I mean, 
a, a good drama is going to have funny parts because otherwise it's just depressing. So do you want to, let's go ahead and hop into our discussion of the film. How about that? Last week, um, let's want to prep our audience a little bit for this. Uh, so last week we kind of went in blind a little bit um, as far as like structure, like what we were going to do. So we're going to structure it a little bit more uh, this week. We're going to talk first. Um, I'll give my first impressions. Zach will talk about kind of his not first impressions, but kind of like what are the main takeaways from the film? What we what really stuck out to us the most? Then we'll jump into what we liked. We'll talk about what we didn't like, if anything, and then uh, that'll be the show. So I get to go first this week. Um, we'll alternate. The person who hasn't seen it yet will give their first impressions first. So uh, I liked the film a lot. I think the biggest thing for me watching the film was that I had seen, I've seen two Edgar Wright films. I saw Hot Fuzz and I saw Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Um, And I've only seen one of those under good conditions. I watched Scott Pilgrim in the San Francisco airport while I was stuck there for 10 hours. Um, So it was not a good time uh, for me, but the film was good. But one of the things about both of those films is neither of them feel very realistic. And Baby Driver is kind of a movie that, though fantastical in some elements, kind of hinges on being uh, realistic and grounded. And I think that a true test, like both Hot Fuzz and Sha- uh, not Shaun of the Dead, Scott Pilgrim, are so stylized. And Edgar Wright is kind of known for that stylized look and this film definitely has that in a lot of ways his transitions are spot on and no more have they been spot on than in this film but there's a more grounded feel I think and I think the true test of like the ability of Edgar Wright here is that he took his style that is so closely associated with fantastical kind of out there elements of like a movie that doesn't necessarily feel real and made a movie that feels real. I think it's interesting that you bring that up because something my roommate and I were talking about last night was that, but also a little bit the exact opposite and how well it fit. Because one of the things we were talking about throughout the whole thing is when does this take place? Because he actively uses cassette tapes. It is clearly modern, but it also it is also clearly not mod like it is clearly it is it is completely unclear when it is. Um, because there is so much new technology, new cars, new all that stuff, but also so much old stuff that is just naturally integrated. Um that it's hard to peg the time frame and that's so cool because it just uses everything so well and plays off of the um the 50s look and feel um but also the time the actual when it takes place doesn't actually matter but they play off of modern and historical time periods just flawlessly um and that was one of the things that we liked because, um, like, you'll have somebody smoking a cigarette 
and then he'll steal somebody's car and they've got a vape. Cigarettes still exist, but like a classic cigarette. Yeah, I think I think that is interesting. And I think that it's interesting in that like that's how a lot of our lives are, or like kind of that integrated technology. They're not they're not separated between like, you know, I know people who still use CDs and I know people who still use vinyl. I know people who still use iPods. And so we kind of have this weird association that like everyone has like updated technology, but that's just not the case. And our lives are kind of integrated in that respect. Um, And I think that made it feel a little bit more realistic. What's your kind of main takeaway? Is that your main takeaway or do you have anything else? Oh no, that's definitely not my main takeaway. So main takeaway, we'll get into what you really, really liked. Oh, okay. Main takeaway. um, I, the first time I watched it, I hadn't, I, I watched it in theaters um, and I loved it. Other times I watched it, it was fun, but it was probably late, I think, when I watched it. So it was, it was enjoyable, but I wasn't watching it to, like, grasp anything. And so this time it was cool. I think this was my third time watching it. It was cool because I was paying attention, not just enjoying it. I was definitely enjoying it, but I was paying attention. And I think it was so cool how well, kind of like with Lady Bird, things foreshadow and then they happen and then they happen and like seeing everything set up um knowing how everything was going to go down is cool seeing all of the connections um between things between the music um but the biggest takeaway because I kind of got off on a rabbit trail there into what I liked um the biggest takeaway is theme it was cool seeing how well the theme was integrated into it um which i i quote the sidewalk preacher from the first as soon as baby leaves the coffee shop the first time i quote him as the theme which is you can't walk away from your sins or you yeah you can't just walk away from your sins that is what i believe the theme of the movie is yeah yeah i think that that's definitely that's definitely a theme, definitely. So that's kind of what we think about it. Let's, let's jump into what we liked. Uh, I think an obvious point of reference for this, or like an obvious thing that if we're going to talk about what we like, the editing is probably the first thing that jumps out to me. So I, I think, I mean, it's Edgar Wright. He knows how to do visuals well he knows how to get into that stuff extremely well. And the biggest thing is I kind of touched on it earlier when I was talking about kind of Scott Pilgrim and his other stuff. But he he understands how to transition maybe better than any filmmaker out there in that he knows, like, we could match cut, we could jump cut, we could, we could just move, or we can have the laundry machine turn into a record and what's going to be more engaging visually and he does that uh i think another thing so indicative of the style of the film is the the lyrics showing up on the on the street and on the walls and everything so tell me tell me about that so 
I, I think I first noticed the lyrics on my second watch through. Um, and it's just, it's so unnecessary. But at the same time, it makes it so much better because it's a detail that like you, a lot of people probably miss because they're, it's, it's really easy to miss because it's, it's not like lyrics on a screen. It's just text, like graffiti. It's stuff like carved onto a tree or graffiti on a wall or in sidewalk chalk. Like it's subtle stuff, but the music integration and the timing and the editing, it just works so well. So my question is, so obviously those shots are very well choreographed. Like we've both been on sets before that kind of shot takes probably a full day to get like each of those probably takes a full day to get because the camera doesn't stop moving and there's probably hidden cuts in there and that's what it, it is what it is my question is how many of the hidden lyrics hidden i mean hidden in quotes but of the hidden lyrics do you think were visual effects and how much were practical on set I want to believe they were all practical. I think they were pro they they were probably visual um, because that that is the reasonable thing to do. Nevertheless, like no matter if they're if they were visual effects or not, the locations and everything were very well chosen. Oh, absolutely. And every moment of that had to be kind of planned out. So even if the visual effects aren't there even if the lyrics weren't there on set, they had to know where the visual, where to put the visual effects. So I th- either way, it's impressive. I'm just, I was just curious what you thought about that. Very well placed and well planned at the very least, um, even if they aren't practical. Um, you touched on it a little bit earlier, but I think there's some really great performances in this film. Um, I will start with the fact that I don't like Ansel Elgort. I didn't like him in The Fault in Our Stars. I am upset that he's going to be Tony in the West Side Story, to say the least. I'm upset. Like, there's, there are a lot of other emotions, I think, that you could apply to how I feel about him being Tony in West Side Story. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Steven Spielberg is remaking West Side Story. It comes out at the end of this year. Um, and I'm not happy about it. I think West Side Story is one of the greatest movie musicals of all time. If we're moving into, this is total sidestep, but if we're moving into an era in which Steven Spielberg is making movie musicals, I might be okay. Because I don't know if you've noticed, but like Spielberg has like eras that you can easily like distinctly break down. You've got Close Encounters, E.T., Jaws, all kind of coming around come out about the same time and they all touch on themes of like parents and divorces and uh aliens and monsters then you have his extremely long historical drama phase extending from schindler's list to like lincoln then you have two crazy motion capture movies with bfg and ready player one And if we're about to enter into a phase where Steven Spielberg is just doing either we're moving into a phase where Steven Spielberg does whatever he wants, in which case West Side Story is part of the BFG Ready Player One phase, or we're moving into an era in which Steven Spielberg makes movie musicals. 
Is is Spielberg directing the next Indiana Jones? No. That was recently announced. That's actually going to be James Mangold. That was way tangential <laughs> to the conversation that we're That's having. Okay. Where were we? Ansel Elgort. I don't like Ansel Elgort. But before I watched this film, I had a friend tell me that if I were going to like Ansel Elgort, it would probably be this film. And they were right. So I, I, I thought he was great. I thought he was great in this film. Lily James as well, obviously. Um, we both watched Ronda and Abbey mm-hmm. and enjoyed her on that. She was great in Cinderella. But what I liked about her in this film was that I totally bought that she was Southern. Except, so there's one thing. So the movie takes place in Atlanta, which I want to get back to in a minute. There's one thing in the film that felt out of place. And it was very subtle. And I don't know if you would have picked up on it. When Lily James and Ansel Elgort meet at the diner, she says that she wants to drive all across the States. Which no American that I've met refers to the United States as the States. Like if they're talking about like being in it, they'd say drive across the country, drive across the U.S. But rarely do have I ever heard an an American person use the term the states, unless they are in another country. I don't know. In in her defense, Edgar Wright wrote it. Who is also British? Yes. And so that's where I was getting to. I don't think it's Lily James's fault, but it is an interesting note that. Uh, that happened because I felt like it was like, Oh, interesting. Totally out there. Lily James is great. Do you have anything to say about either of them? I think, I think, yeah, I agree. I agree. They did a great job. Um, I've noticed that the most common role British, well, maybe not the most common recently. I've been seeing a lot of, um, British people in Southern roles. Um, this is out of order, but, um, so there's Baby Driver, you've got Lily James playing a Southern Belle. Um, Knives Out, you've got Daniel Craig playing um, of course, yeah. Colonel Sanders. There, uh, You've got Ewan McGregor in Big Fish playing uh, New Orleans native, basically. I hope I didn't offend anybody with all of that. Southern B- British people play a lot of Southern people. Um, that's fair to say. I've noticed that's that a lot. I don't know if it's because that's the easiest one to transition to from their accent because it is definitely, as an American, I would say the Midwestern accent is the least accent American accent um, and that Southern is the most accent. I think, I think as far as the Southern accent goes, it's the most easily characterized. Like the the Midwestern transatlantic kind of thing, it, it's kind of you know it's flat, it's whatever you can call it, whatever you want, and it and it it's possible to do, but there's something with the Southern accent. There's a lot of freedom to screw it up basically, and not have an actual Southern accent, but for it to be accepted as a Southern accent. Going back to the list of people you just mentioned, you know. Uh, Detective Blanc in Knives Out does not have a southern accent. He has something that 
somewhat resembles a southern accent. So as someone who does have a southern accent, it's kind of funny because my voice does not sound anything like Daniel Craig's in that movie. So it's it's weird. And so it's I think that there's a lot of freedom. I think Lily James is in Baby Driver is very realistic. It sounds very much like a southern accent, especially for people coming out of Atlanta. So those are the two main characters. I think we could we can talk about everyone else or not. One of my favorite performances was John Hamm. First of all, John Hamm. But also, I loved seeing his character with Baby um, because you have essentially the little brother of the group in Baby. Um, and he, with his relationship to Darlin, is almost like it's a mixture of like big brother kind of father i think i think john ham imagines himself as like a father figure to baby even though their relationship is much more of like cool uncle older brother um and little brother nephew relationship um because from the beginning of the movie he's noticeably impressed with baby um and it's cool because it's like all these other guys are like suspicious of baby or they're like he's just a kid and he's just like guys kid's awesome just accept it um and then he's also one of the most suspicious almost in an instant because of in that in those circles the slightest thing tips you off that you can't trust somebody and so like it some people might see it as like, oh, well, he was so impressed. He liked him all that. And then all of a sudden he just doesn't like him. I think it's realistic because in that, like everything is surface level. Like even his appreciation of baby was surface level because as soon as there was a, uh, an inkling of anything he could doubt in him, he was like, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? Where are you going, buddy? Yeah. The only, the only person who really trusts anyone in the group is baby. And I think, and maybe uh, Kevin Spacey's character. And I think that says a lot about the characters and who they are. We can briefly touch on everyone else if we want to. Uh, Jamie Foxx is good. Jamie Foxx is really good at, I mean, he's really good at playing the bad guy. I don't know if this is related or not, but I kind of want to see, I want to see the, the movie he and Michael B. Jordan are in. Uh, where my, Jamie Foxx was arrested. It just came out. Uh, just Mercy. Yes. I kind of want to see that because um, for the sole reason of seeing Jamie Foxx in a good guy role. So that like so that he, he doesn't only play bad guys. So that he isn't only in my mind as a bad guy. Mm-hmm. I think that would be good. Speaking of people who are in our minds only bad guys. Uh, we don't have to go very in-depth in this and i don't really want to kevin spacey is in fact in this movie he is a gross individual i've always found kevin spacey kind of gross in general i think that the roles that he i feel like in the roles that he chose to play when we accepted him as an actor he was telling us who he was you know, this guy, he kind of plays a smarmy dude in everything that he's in. And knowing what we know now, obviously, 
he's even creepier. The plot, I haven't seen it, but the plot of one movie in particular comes to mind whenever I think about Kevin Spacey in real life is American Beauty. And it's sometimes life reflects art. Although there are times when it shouldn't. Indeed. Indeed. We won't talk anymore about him. All that to say. John Bernthal was in it for a very short time. I wanted more of John Bernthal. Who is John Bernthal? John Bernthal. um, He, in context of Baby Driver, he is the other man other than John Hamm in the first crew. Um, Outside of context of Baby Driver, he is the Punisher. He is many different roles and many different movies he is in he's in a movie with tom holland where they are monks pilgrimage okay with richard armitage and tom holland gotcha that's what it is gotcha yeah he was good i really honestly just solid all around in this film i think um you know the writing is good the writing it's great um i think that something i think in a way that these the last film that we talked about and the next film that we talked or yeah the last film that we talked about in this film that we're talking about the way that they kind of show our own personalities and that everything in this film is very action-based like ladybird is a lot of talking it's a lot of talking but baby driver everything is action I think from the opening action scene to the to the closing, it's it's there's so much action. It's so visual, which is a very Edgar Wright thing. I think also um, we neither of us obviously are established, well established filmmakers, um, but we are both writers in our own right, and I think that also kind of reflects on how we write, because your stuff is more dialogue driven. And my stuff is generally more action, more visual driven. Um, While we can both write, obviously, action, like lines of action and dialogue, your focus is definitely more around the characters discussing and mine is what's happening. Aaron Sorkin in his master class talks about how he would hear dialogue as music and he talked about it many other places. I th- I think if Aaron Sorkin is dialogue as music, Edgar Wright is action as music. That's a great way of describing it, especially with Baby Driver. Yeah, obviously there's a direct connection with Baby Driver, but I think in Hot Fuzz as well and Scott Pilgrim is very Scott Pilgrim is very music led as well. But um Hot Fuzz is not, but it feels very musical and very rhythmic. I think one of the things that's so interesting about Edgar Wright is that he is so definitive in what his style is. He knows what it is from the get-go, and he, he goes for it, and he leans into it, but he's also not afraid to like step outside of that and do other things. He Edgar Wright does not make an quote-unquote Edgar Wright movie, in the same sense that like Wes Anderson makes a Wes Anderson movie. I would agree. I think I think even if you could find more similarities within 
the Edgar Wright movies um, before Baby Driver, I would say Baby Driver stands out as very visually different. Easily. Um, because it is, it, it, it is edited like a music video. Yeah, and well, and that, and that, it feels, it feels like Atlanta. Like it feels like a real like it, it when if I were to drive four hours south from where we are right now and go to Atlanta, I feel like it'd be in the world of Baby Driver in a sense. It feels like a real place. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. It it feels. I mean, because they were, but like it feels like you're in the streets. It it feels grounded. Well, I think it's interesting because this is what I was talking about earlier when I said I wanted to touch on it being based in Atlanta. A lot of films are shot in Atlanta. We were both in the sort of on the cusp of the film industry. And so like Atlanta is a place that we think about possibly going and like working and all of that kind of thing. Um, if for those of you listening who may not know, the Marvel films are all shot in Atlanta. The Walking Dead is shot in Atlanta, which is still on. I don't know if you knew that. The Walking Dead is still on TV. I think Atlanta is shot in Atlanta. Atlanta is indeed shot in Atlanta. Tyler Perry just opened up massive studios that's bringing in stuff. Tyler Perry shoots most of his things in Atlanta. I don't Many... know, but I feel like the um, Jordan Peele movies are probably shot in Atlanta. Yeah, I think J.J. Abrams and Jordan Peele were just producing I think it was Jordan Peele. J.J. Abrams was definitely producing something that just shot in Atlanta. But what's interesting is a lot of those shows and movies don't take place in Atlanta. The TV show Atlanta obviously does. But most of the Marvel movies don't go to Georgia. Um, a lot of Tyler Perry stuff doesn't go to Georgia. So the fact that this movie, presumably shot in Atlanta, takes place in Atlanta is kind of a unique thing. And that also brings up something interesting to me. Um, the fact that we touched on earlier, Edgar Wright is British and so I wonder if, because it's, it is definitely in Atlanta, but Atlanta is not a plot point. So I imagine he wrote it for a city. And then in the pre-production process, they were finding out what place has the best incentives and locations, scouting. Um, and all of that together, and decided to go with Atlanta. And then after that, all the integration of Atlanta being Atlanta. Yeah, there was definitely a point in the pre-production that they had to decide this is taking place in this southern city because Baby is southern, um, Deborah, Lily James's character, she's southern. So... Uh, a lot of these characters, they have to decide, like, yes, it's taking place in the South. Um, but it, but I was about to say the same thing that you did about the the film. Like, it, it could have taken place anywhere. It could have been New York. And so I think it is interesting that he chose Atlanta. Like, I think that it's interesting that it takes place in the South. It provides another kind of look at the South in that none of the characters are hillbillies. None of the characters are stupid. There are characters who have southern accents who are the smartest people on screen. 
which is not something we see a lot. And it's shooting on a location and using that location, not just for its visuals. Um, you know, we come from just outside of Nashville. And when something shoots in Tennessee, they want to use the landmark and then they want to just shoot inside a house. Like it's um, there was a push for the TV show Bluff City Law to shoot all of their episodes in Memphis and not just a couple of exteriors, which is what the original plan was, was come shoot a couple of exteriors, get Beale Street, get all that stuff um, and then leave. But there was a push to bring them and they stayed. Same thing happens. Um, I think the same thing happened with the TV show Nashville, which shot in Nashville for many years and they used the location and it was real. But there are other things that'll come in and they'll shoot their scene, you know, they'll shoot for a week and then they'll leave and go shoot somewhere else. So being able to see this place play itself and be used as itself. Not because we want to prove that we're in Atlanta. No, I mean, we it's in Atlanta. The, the cars have Georgia license plates. I'm going to, we're going to jump into the next section, which I'm anticipating is going to be very short, which is, is there anything you didn't like about the film? I'll let you start. So. The only thing, and it, it kind of bothered me the first time, and I haven't quite, it still doesn't, I still don't love it. Um, in throughout the course of the events, um, baby um, ruins a heist as it's going on, um, and he had been working for Doc, and then he'd been paid off, and now he betrayed him completely, voluntarily after agreeing to do a job. Um, and he comes in and Doc says, no, I'm not going to help you. Um, and it bothers me how easily Doc changes his mind when Lily James, when uh, Deborah comes in. Um, it bothers me just how easily he switches over. But at the same time, he's known Baby since he was probably like eight so in a way there is kind of a father-son relationship even if it's very convoluted and criminal um so i guess that does kind of fit the character it's just weird because he's a very objective very self-focused character all the way up until that point it feel it feels off but at the same time i i see how it works mm -hmm. i can i can get that uh, if there's one thing about the film that I didn't care for, and this kind of goes, this is going to go against one of the things that I liked about the film. I felt like Ansel Elgort's accent is incredibly inconsistent throughout the course of the film. There are moments where it feels almost like Daniel Craig's, uh, Detective Blanc, then there are other times that I can't even tell that he's putting on an accent. And I don't know if that's a director thing of like just not putting him in the right mode before the scene shoots or if it's a character choice or if it's just Ansel's can't remember 
what accent he used, but I did not care for that. Um, it's kind of one of those things that it, it's it's nitpicky, but it did like it did take me out of the film. Like I was into it, and then he spoke, and I was like, "Wait a second, wait, no, that's not how you speak." So I think, like, it took me a little bit to realize that he had an accent, and then I definitely noticed it every time that it either got thicker or thinner, for lack of a better term. I don't know what a thin southern accent sounds like. I wouldn't. You said you have a southern accent. I wouldn't say you do. Okay. If you do, it is quite thin. Okay, I'll take that. If that if that helps you, maybe maybe it's because most of the time when we're together, it's kind of just us, and so we both adopt the Michigan and Tennessee Midwestern accent. Just flat. Just as neutral as possible. Any any more comments before we kind of wrap it up on Baby Driver that you just on your heart burning to get out? It has the best opening scene in a movie I think I've ever seen. When I was talking about Edgar Wright action as music earlier, that that was the scene that came to mind. Like I think it's it's brilliant. And I think it, I think it works on several levels. First off, it's a great scene just in and of itself. It is brilliantly shot. It's brilliantly edited. Everything about it is just perfect. But then on another level, it introduces us to who Baby is. It introduces us to the world that we're in. It captures you immediately. Um, going back to an Aaron Sorkin masterclass note, uh, he Zach and I are both taking the masterclass right now, and so we've been talking about it a lot. Uh, he talks about how in an action comedy, one of the what you need, you could cut to, you cut to the beginning of the film could just be them getting their assignment, or we could show an assignment that has nothing to do with what the rest of the film is about just to introduce the characters. So we show action comedy. It draws, you know, it's an action scene. It draws you in. Then it, but you realize at the end of it, it has nothing to do with the rest of the film. In this case, it does. There are a few seeds planted there, but really the first five minutes of baby driver do not affect the rest of the film at all. The old, the original MacGyver, um, every episode started with, an opening gambit and it was about 50 50 whether it actually applied to the episode or not um so that's another action series yeah same idea it it grabs you from the get-go you're in you're on the edge of your seat you want to see what happens so by the time that we get to the point where the story is really picking up and we get our inside incident and we're we're going through everything we're already there. You already got me. I, I'm already in the world. I'm already interested in what's happening. I want to point out the sound design. Not even just related, to, not even just how well the music was integrated, how well the sound design was integrated into everything. One specific scene stands out to me, and it is when Baby and Deborah are taking the 
car they can't afford from the vapors and the car doors are open and there is that sound that is so annoying when you open the door to your car and the key is in the ignition and it's that beeping and the beeping was on beat with the song that was playing. It's a tiny detail. You can barely hear the beeping, but I heard it. We rewound it and I pointed it out and he was like, that is, that is mastery to just put that tiny detail. It's like bumping the lamp um, in Who Framed Roger Rabbit. They didn't have to do it, but boy, did they. I agree. And, and in other places as well, I think to me, one of the things um, we won't talk about it on this podcast because we've both seen it, but Rear Window is one of my favorite movies. And one of the reasons that I love it is that it's so immersive. All of the sound, all of the sound is diegetic. So it's in the film. There's no music. There's no nothing. Every sound that you, you know, when there's no music playing because everyone's asleep or whatever, you're hearing all of these little sounds happening everywhere. And it just adds to the film so much, I think. And I think it draws you in so much more. And in this film, obviously, there's music everywhere. Um, But what it does well is there's that like ringing that'll just show up in certain scenes. And you don't, you don't realize it's there. And you're like, wait a second. What is that? But the minute that baby pops a, a headphone in, it goes away. And and I think I thought that was that was just brilliant. At the very beginning, when it's doing the opening titles of the production companies, there's like a single note. It's like a horn, I think. Um, but the first sound you hear of the movie that is not like the the one note of the production companies. Is the tum- is the ringing of his tinnitus, and it's it transitions from that single note into the ringing, into the movie, and having seen the movie, I I, and knowing everything, I was like, I wonder, and I it 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 made me so happy. The sound design is so masterful. Yeah, and I think that that's one of those things that is so easily overlooked, um, in a film. And it's so easy to just say, well, as long as we can hear it, it's fine. Good sound design is not noticeable. The, the best sound design, you just forget it's even there because it's, it's just like, okay, whatever. It's, of course, that just got picked up on set, right? No, it didn't. It didn't. If you heard a sound and it, it made something click... Probably wasn't probably wasn't picked up on set. Probably. If Maybe. you if you hear something that's not dialogue, it probably wasn't picked up on set. If you hear something that is dialogue, there's a chance it wasn't picked up on set. I think I think that especially in a movie about sound, that's so much about sound, it's important that the sound design be really good. And I think that it, it plays into the transitions as well. And I think this is part of Edgar Wright, like knowing his style so well and again he's not trying to make an Edgar Wright movie he isn't he can take the tools that he uses of sound design of transitions of editing of shooting 
and apply them to any style, which is what he's done. He's made a zombie movie. He's made uh, this like heist action movie. He's made a comic book movie that literally looks like a comic book. Like that's what it that's what it is. So he can do all of these different things, and one of those things that he does so well is sound design, and it bridge and he uses them in the transitions where there's there's a whoosh or a thud or something, and that connects everything so much more to where it feels like we're not watching a bunch of scenes that were clipped together we're watching one puzzle that's been interlocked and I think that's what's so brilliant about the sound design and the transitions there were a lot of L cuts mm-hmm. where an L cut an L cut is where the dialogue of the next shot or next scene starts playing during the previous shot. Mm-hmm. Um, that way it is not a hard cut between shots or scenes. It is more natural, even though that's not actually how things work, but it feels more natural because it's not as jarring a transition. It, it's another one of those things. It's invisible. You feel like it isn't there because everything flows together so nicely but it really does make a difference when you can hear that and when it bridges the gap between two scenes when it's someone asking a question and then we hear the answer and then we realize that someone else is just speaking somewhere else and it's actually not connected but now the question we were asking in our head has been answered on screen it isn't a movie that has a lot of mystery in it um, it is fairly straightforward, but it it does a lot of those things where it'll ask you a question and then you have to kind of keep watching for the answer. And there are a lot of twists, like even like twists with almost immediate payoffs or I guess questions with pretty much immediate payoffs that still get you. Mm-hmm. Like it's not like what? Oh, like it, you're you're not sitting around waiting for it. But it still has impact. Mm-hmm, um, like uh, the best one that comes to my mind is when it looks like John Hamm gets pushed off of the floor of the parking garage. And um, it's within five seconds that he returns. But it's still like, oh, did they get him? No, they did not. But there's still there's still the suspense, even though it's almost an immediate turnaround. And the movie feels well-paced. I think Edgar Wright can make it can make you feel like you're moving really really quickly, but the movie this movie in particular feels very well paced. It definitely, it definitely just um, keeps pecking up. Mm-hmm. Um, like other, the first scene is obviously very fast, um, but after the first scene, it drops the pace significantly. And then it's just, it just goes up. It just rises from there. So, well, I think that'll wrap us up on Baby Driver. Kind of a discussion. Unless um, out of else. five stars, Seth, what would you give Baby Driver? I'd give it a four and a half. I think that's what I gave it on Letterboxd, where you can follow me. What keeps it from being a five? I think, I talked about this last week, but... For me, that kind of like extra star, half star is how well it kind of emotionally gets me. And you can have a great film, 
but unless I really just emotionally, almost viscerally connect with the character, then the most I can give it is a four and a half. Um, movies like Raging Bull, I thought it was a great film, but I didn't click with that character as well. And so it, it kind of stopped me from being able to enjoy the film as much. And I enjoyed this film a lot. I think it's a great ride. No pun intended. <laughs> I think it's a great time. I think it's a great ride. Um, it, it didn't give me as much to like chew on and like think about afterward, um, which is something I typically look for a little bit more in a movie. And it, it wasn't something that I felt like I had to like. It, it didn't keep coming up, you know, for me, like uh, like it does some people. And it didn't keep kind of me thinking about it in the next day or two. I watched it. It was fun. It was a great time. I'll watch it again. But wasn't something that uh, clicked in that respect for me. What about you, Zach? Absolutely five stars. Why? I'd give it five stars because it, every single part of it, I loved. And every single part of it made me go, I want to do that. I want to make that. Uh, okay, that was the question I was going to ask. Uh, do you want to do also, it? Also, yes. I can't drive a stick, though. There's still time. There's still time. Would you, you kind of an- answered this already. Um, would you watch this again? Definitely. Yeah, definitely. I feel like I know the answer to this, but uh, would you, Zach? Yes, I own it on Blu-ray. Good. Very happy with that decision. I'm glad. I'm happy for you. All right, I think that closes out for this week for the show. So I'll give us a little bit of a sneak preview for what we're talking about next week. So we're going to be discussing the 2019 film, the best picture for the Oscars that took place in 2020. Uh, Parasite it's a film that I've seen that I love and just so we're clear Zach and I are aware that the past two films that we talked about were 2017 the next one we're going to talk about is 2019 making the first three episodes of this show all movies that came out in the last decade (laughs) but we're going to fix that after after we talk about Parasite we're going to fix it and It'll be good. We'll, we'll, we'll go on from there. <laughs> yeah, we're going to talk about Parasite. So if you get the chance to check it out, watch it along with us, so you can be up to date on everything that we're talking about. All right. Thanks, Zach. Thank you, Zach.